This is the Doctor Who Podcast, and you are most welcome. This week on the Doctor Who Podcast, your guess is as good as ours. It's a geek out. Yes, hello and welcome to episode 254 of the Doctor Who podcast. On the agenda today is a geek out, meaning we really don't have a clue what we're going to be talking about. And joining me to talk about something that we simply haven't got a clue about are Michelle and Stephen. Hello. It's something we're very qualified to do, talk about something we have no clue about. So yeah, onward and forward. (laughs) Yeah, we do that pretty much every week. So we may as well actually just announce it this time around. (laughs) Hello. I agree. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best greeting, I think, Stephen, that we've had so far. <laughs> but never mind, never mind. Before we get into discussing whatever we're going to be discussing, we, we received a bit of feedback. It was a little bit too late to include in our last episode, I'm afraid, uh, but it was all about the Tenth Planet, and it was from... I think what sounds like a rather young listener and they've identified themselves only as handbot so here are handbot's thoughts on the 10th planet hello doctor podcast i don't know what you thought about the 10th planet so i'll tell you what i thought let me take you back to christmas 2013 now don't laugh when i tell you I only have three classic dvds one of which being the 10th planet out of all the sweets and chocolate I got on Christmas, the Tenth Planet was by far the best present. Each of the four parts was thoroughly interesting for me. I thought the plot was really good and the actors' performances were truly entertaining. After seeing Mark Gatiss's amazing drama about the origins of Doctor Who, I made it easy. It made it easier to understand the emotions William Hartnell was giving. The Cybermen were awesome. I bet I would have been terrified watching that back in the day. The ways in which each character was portrayed made it an action-packed, on-the-edge-of-your-seat episode. For some odd reason, the anime-style anim- animation fitted perfectly with the first Doctor Knight grumpy old captain. Overall, this was a great watch, and worth every second. However, it all came down to that final moment at the end, the regeneration. In most regenera- regeneration episodes, you're always waiting for that big moment when the Doctor generates that you partly forget anything that happened in the actual story. In this, I was fully engaged in everything that happened that I forgot there was even going to be a regeneration. Yet again, when this was shown, nobody knew what a regeneration was. I do think that we didn't see much of William Hartnell, but you can understand why. I really enjoyed this episode, and I hope you did too. Thanks for listening, and you are most welcome. Thank you for that hand, Bart. Uh... You know, I'm glad that Handbot thought that uh, Tenth Planet was action-packed. I mean, I agree that the Cybermen are awesome, but um, I'm really not sure I was watching the same story. But, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> hey, the more younger listeners watch Classic Who, the better. So I'm not going to complain too much. Oh, no, absolutely. And and perhaps it is something to do with your age, because I, I remember when I first saw the Tenth Planet, I think it was pretty much when it came out on VHS. And it was, I can't even remember whether it came out with another release. I have a feeling it came out as part of a box set or something. Anyway, I, I was really excited about it, having read the Target novelization, and I remember really, really enjoying it. And I hadn't seen it again, or I hadn't rewatched it, until the DVD came out. So my expectations were absolutely set at 11, and <laughs> I, I was really surprised that I just didn't enjoy it as much. So perhaps The Tenth Planet is best watch whilst you're young. I don't know. 
I think that could be. It's great to hear an opinion from a younger viewer. And uh, yeah, us poor old people are just getting jaded you know, as we age. <laughs> Perhaps. I don't know. I mean, one thing that is definitely becoming more and more apparent is that my memories of watching classic stories are extremely unreliable. You know, stories that I thought were absolutely brilliant. I watch again now and, and I'm not particularly impressed by it and it works just as much the other way around as well. I remember, what, just a year or so ago watching The Twin Dilemma for the first time in goodness knows how long, thoroughly expecting to dislike it and yet I, I, I really enjoyed it. My, my low expectations were absolutely incorrect. I found that to be true too. In fact, uh, the story we'll be discussing next week, Legopolis, what I thought of it as a youth, I completely think differently now and I won't give it away, but um, perfect example of what you're talking about. Hmm. I think it's, you know, <laughs> in general, watching television is better with low expectations. So, <laughs> Well, it's true. And do you know what? I almost... I'm almost scared to watch the new series of Doctor Who with anything other than an expectation that I'm not going to enjoy it. But, you know, when you do that, you come across as exceptionally pessimistic. And, you know, if you just think, well, you know, this is highly unlikely now to appeal to me as as much as... uh, as old Doctor Who, then, you know, you can only be pleasantly surprised, I suppose. But uh, I think it is true. You know, the older a Doctor Who fan gets, generally speaking, the more grumpy and miserable they become. (laughs) (laughs) I can't argue with that. I just really can't. There is one thing, actually, I wanted to to, to discuss with a pair of you and also to share with our listeners because... uh, kind of promised that we would on, on our Facebook page a little while ago. Every year, when it's my birthday, my, my wife kindly mm. agrees to sit through an entire story of Doctor Who, a classic a classic Doctor Who story. And uh, generally, I try and select one that I think she's going to, A, stay awake all the way through. And I, I kind of live in hope that she will actually enjoy it. She, she's not a big fan of, of sci-fi in general. She's not a big Doctor Who fan. In fact, she's not a Doctor Who fan at all, really. She's perfectly happy for me just to sit there and watch it uh, on my own. However, I, I do enjoy sharing. And I, I, I kind of live in hope that one day she'll understand why I'm so obsessed by it. I think I pretty much accepted now that's never going to happen. Um, however, I still go through this experiment once every 12 months. And, uh, and so far, she sat through Ghostlight and Delta and the Bannerman uh, in, in previous years. They're both three episodes long, they're an hour and 10, 20 minutes, you know. And you wonder why she's not a Doctor Who fan? <laughs> <laughs> well, you've you got to balance it, you see, Michelle. If you end up having a, a, a classic a classic show or a show that's, you know, regarded really, really highly, then generally you're looking at a four episode, which is, you know, an hour and a half's worth of investment. And uh, it, it doesn't really work. But uh, and not only that... Not you know perceived fan wisdom is is sometimes not wisdom at all and uh, and Delta and the Bannerman is actually quite a watchable story and and actually that was one that she really enjoyed mainly because there was some dancing in it it looked good it was on location it was a kind of blend with Heidi High and what I decided to do this this year was ask our listeners on Facebook what story I should I should try this year and. We haven't actually posted anything on our Facebook page that has solicited <laughs> a higher number of comments or suggestions. I think there was about 40 on there last time. And decided to go with City of Death. Decided to stick my neck out and go with a four-episode story. 
We got through three episodes. Three episodes and that was it. We simply couldn't oh. get through the fourth one because she just thought it was so utterly boring and dull. <laughs> and I, I actually thought... I'm gasping. I'm audibly gasping in the background that she thought that it was, City of Death was boring and dull. Go ahead. Sorry. I mean to interrupt, but... No, not, not at all. I, I, I think there was there was a lot of running around in episode one, which I think Doctor Who fans thoroughly enjoy because you get to see Paris. Obviously, that's something Doctor Who fans weren't used to seeing. Uh, particularly in 1970, what, nine, I think that was. I I can't quite remember. It's a fantastic score. And, uh, you know, it, it's got John Cleese in it at the very end. Of course, we didn't even get to that particular scene because that's in episode four. The time travel element, she wasn't particularly impressed by. Julian Glover, she thought, was appalling. Um, the special effects just don't interest her at all and, and trevor was the only one actually who said don't show a city of death and i thought oh, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go with my gut instinct but anyway yes so so listeners who wanted to know what happened there you are that's what happened it was a, it was a complete failure but i wanted to know i mean what, what two stories would, would you two have suggested oh you know i actually i was a supporter of city of death but just because i i love that story so much it's one of my favorites so um, because of all of the running around in Paris and the time travel aspect of it, and it, to me, it is mm. it is quintessential Doctor Who in in a lot of respect in a lot of regards, you know. So Romana two and the and the fourth Doctor, I, I don't know. So that's it's a really difficult question for me. I don't, I don't know if she didn't like that, which to me is 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 you know one of the most fun and romantic stories and things like that. Then I, I have no idea. I'm at a loss. <laughs> you might try something absolutely completely different and go back to the black and white era. You know, maybe try a Hartnell or something that is a completely different flavor from something you've attempted. Try the Aztecs or uh, – but, you, you know, when you posted this, I I responded and I kind of gave you a hard time for forcing her to watch Doctor Who at all. I I have a husband who is not in any way, shape, or form a science fiction or a Doctor Who fan. And so we kind of experience it in reverse in our family. And I – almost would rather not have him in the room. Uh, I mean, he, he he's very gracious, and he allows me my strange little obsession here, and he doesn't ridicule me, and he supports me in the podcasting and all that. And he's incredibly patient and long-suffering. But when he comes into a room and I'm watching Doctor Who, there's this part of me that starts to see it through a non-Doctor Who fan's eyes, and I, I just cringe. Yeah. It is painful for me to sit in a room watching Doctor Who with someone that I know doesn't appreciate it, even even if they're kind about not appreciating it. And um, <sighs> there there are some episodes that I think, oh, I got to watch this at a time when when he's not home because I don't, <laughs> I, he, he won't get this and it'll be embarrassing. So the fact that you would sit there with your wife on your birthday of all days, I mean, talk about one of the days I would least like to feel awkward and. <laughs> oh, it. Well, I, I never feel awkward. That's, that's the thing, you see. I, I'm never embarrassed either. I, I, I maybe I'm, I'm, I'm. Well, I think I'm probably too far advanced and long in a tooth where it comes to my obsession with Doctor Who to be embarrassed at all. I've got no problem talking about going to LA, you know, just for a Doctor Who convention, which people think is absolutely potty. I had that conversation yesterday, actually, in my office, and uh, people just looked at me and just just thought I had had absolutely no sense whatsoever, really. Um, but I, I, I still enjoy doing stuff and experiencing things with 
by a wife, you know. I, even though she's not necessarily going to appreciate it, I'd still rather watch Doctor Who with her than with without her. And the kind of perspective or the filter that you talked about there, you know, you start watching Doctor Who with, um, you know, in a slightly different way. I, I find that really valuable sometimes. And, and whilst Doctor Who is, you know, the fandom is fantastic at times and you can, you know, meet with like-minded individuals, what it does is, is also give you a completely false view of Doctor Who. And watching it through the eyes of someone who, one, doesn't share the obsession or, two, doesn't really like the show, gives you a slightly different take on it. And I watched City of Death with Angela and it was the first time where I actually saw flaws in it and there were times Mm. when I thought well that doesn't actually work and while sometimes I don't want to see those and I can watch those on any other day of the year frankly on my own and just enjoy the long indulgence sweeping views of Paris watching the knowing looks between Tom and Lala and thinking how I know what's really going on you know that's not the kind of thing that I'm going to, or, or a non hoot fan is going to appreciate. And I actually understand why some people don't like it. And I think that gives you a more rounded view and a more realistic view of the product that we are utterly obsessed with normally. Yeah, no, I absolutely understand why, why some people wouldn't care for it. And, you know, there are people who simply aren't into science fiction and aren't into the kind of storytelling that, that Doctor Who does. And, and that's okay. <laughs> the, no, it's not really. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we need to have enough people who like it to, to ensure the, the longevity of the show. But, you know, the world would be a boring place if everybody agreed with us. Not many people agree with us anyway, even people who do enjoy <laughs> yeah, Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I don't know. I, I find it interesting. There, there were times when... I kind of feel invincible. There was there was a guy again, a guy at work, and uh, he's a relatively new starter as well. And he started talking about how he enjoyed Doctor Who, and he remembered a particular scene, and it ended up, you know, you know how you suddenly think, well, I've got to try and figure this out because if I don't get the story from the very vague description, then I'm not really a fan. And the more he talked about it, he talked about uh, a human with something on his head. And I was thinking, right, is that a Cyberman or, or something? And then he talked about, you know, coming out of the River Thames and he was probably black and white. I was thinking, oh, OK, probably Robo-Men. And it was. It was the Dalek invasion of Earth he was talking about. And I said, well, I've got that. Do you want to ever watch? And he went, you know, I'd really like to see that again. It's been such a long time. I will do. And I was, I was overly excited. I was, I was so <laughs> pleased that somebody had actually wanted to, to watch an episode of Doctor Who. And uh, I, I gave him this DVD. I feel very, very lucky for a couple of reasons. One, obviously, my, uh, my girlfriend loves Doctor Who as much as I do. So she maybe doesn't know as much about it as I do, but she likes to learn you know so i think it's very sweet and romantic uh, actually james that you have that you want to share it with your wife and that you have have her sit down <laughs> with you on your birthday and and try and watch a story and that you have the shared experience i, I think it's really lovely and I, I mean i'm a romantic fool so kudos for you for for the for Thank keep you. trying you know and and for her for you know, doing that for you is 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 great. Hmm. Um, oh no, it's brilliant, and I and I really do appreciate it. And uh, we, I will I will carry on. And uh, if, if we if I live long enough, and then it's possible that she may end up seeing the vast majority of the back catalogue. You never know. 
<laughs> Not if they can only stick to three episodes at a time. <laughs> she'll see. She'll see every story, but she won't finish a single one. That's it. <laughs> well, that's it. Maybe I should do six parters. Do three one year and three the next. Her her love for you apparently only extends to episode three. <laughs> well, it, it's not so much love. It's it, it's it's her ability to stay awake. <laughs> I think mainly. Oh. But uh, Michelle, have you shown your husband any any classic episodes? I mean, from what you were saying, it sounds like you probably would choose not to. But uh, is, is is there any stories that you thought I'm going to give this a try? No, I have not intentionally sat him down and said, let's watch this together. Sometimes, and and fortunately, I've been able to warp my son into a, a pretty significant Doctor Who fan. So sometimes Kenny and I will be watching something or I'll be watching something and, and John will come in and we'll have it on and, and he'll catch a few episodes here and there. He actually appreciated Ghostlight more than I do. So yeah. um, may, maybe, but that may not be saying a whole lot. And he'll watch some of the new episodes. Sometimes he'll kind of come in and, and come out of the room a little bit when, when things are on. But And I, I, I want to circle back to something I said and kind of retract it a little bit uh, about being embarrassed. Because re- really, being a Doctor Who fan, being a science fiction fan is nothing to be embarrassed about. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, the mental image I had as I said that was I was watching um, the Santaran experiment one day. And you get to the sequences where Sarah is you know, tied up in the in the cliff mm. face and the Santaran is doing these weird experiments on her. And I just remember thinking at that time, oh, please don't let John come home. Please don't let John come home. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So, but so I, I uh, no, I, and, and I don't, and, and certainly I am much more vocal and open about uh, my fandom than I I can't even say that I ever was before because I was when I was a teenager too. But I have um, I have some items that feature Doctor Who logos on them prominently now that I carry around work, and I've got the you know the podcast mug. And, and uh, <laughs> folks know it, you know they get told about Doctor Who and about the fandom, and it's in my Christmas letters and and that kind of thing. <laughs> so um, and you do have to explain why one went away to England for two weeks in November. But well, there you go. There you go. But I, I know what you mean. It, it, it's a case of trying to trying to show what is old telly that was made on a short budget, you know, in, in the best possible way. And, and you're right. Whenever I sit down and watch a Doctor Who on my own, someone comes back just when the Candyman's on and they say, what the hell is that? <laughs> and, you know, it, you just want to put it on pause and say, I don't know. <laughs> no, no, no idea. Really. I, I just found this on the TV. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, but Stephen, it's good that in a way that you, you you're able to share your uh, your obsession of, of, of sci-fi, or perhaps Doctor Who, with um uh, with with your girlfriend. I mean, have has she seen every episode? Or does she have a desire to go back and watch every classic story? Um, she hasn't seen every episode. She's she's seen every new episode, but um, and uh, mm. I mean she. She wants to watch more classic Who, and so she's uh, she has been watching some episodes, and and I've gotten her uh, to watch some stories with me and, and things like that. So she's she's very she's very keen on it. But I sympathize with your wife in that sometimes classic Who. I, I fall asleep watching it. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> well, look, I, the, the Tenth Planet, as, as I said, every flipping episode, I was asleep before the credits yeah, rolled. Yeah, we had that same problem. So um, we were trying, mm. we were trying to watch it over a series of a few nights, and kept falling asleep on it as well. So, um, yeah, you know, so, <laughs> so so there is that. It's yeah, it's, 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 it's normal. Yeah. It's just normal. 
Yeah, well, and that's also the nature of a Doctor Who. There are some, what is, you know, the War Games, for example, or 10 episode that feels shorter than the 10th Planet, which is only four episodes. But uh, it's, all, it's all part of enjoying a show, I think. It is an interesting thing when you were talking about work, though, because I, I you know, I'm the the Doctor Who guy at work and people you know when people start discovering the show they come up to me like oh I, I, I started watching the show it's, uh, and there's the discussion of how difficult the first season is, is to get through and, and things like that so <laughs> Brilliant. It's funny because people do that, you know. I mean, people know that I, I like Doctor Who. And, of course, being a Doctor Who fan at, at my work is nothing hugely unique. But, pe- you know, there are levels of fandom, aren't there? I mean, not not many people spend hours and hours sitting talking into a, into their computer about it. And I, I don't know, Stephen, if, if like you, when people do come up and you realise that they are really serious about getting into the show i've now prepared about a 15 minute induction course uh for, for such people i've got powerpoint slides and everything i do, and, um, <laughs> I do have a speech i do have a speech prepared on how to how to explain them like when when they're like well, where do i start do i start with this episode do i start that episode and i try and explain to them you know where they should start or you know what you know based on what i know about them Oh, so you do an assessment. You don't just say, okay, start with Pyramids of Mars to everybody. Yeah, no, no, you decide, no. well... Because oh, most okay. of the time, they're not even interested in the classic series either. So um, they're interested in watching, you know, the the, the, the 2005 reboot and, and where that starts. And so it's it's kind of like, well, you don't have to necessarily start with it. Chris Rackelson, I think if you can get through it, you can. And there's that whole discussion. So, yeah. Oh, interesting because I have to admit it's difficult for me to imagine what that would be like because practically everybody, even people who weren't born at the time, are aware of Doctor Who, but they're aware of Tom Baker, essentially, the scarf, canine. Those are the things that are a little bit more prominent rather than, I don't know, David Tennant. I mean, most people are aware of how successful and popular David Tennant was, but there's probably more of an awareness within the UK, well, there is, undoubtedly, in in the public consciousness that Doctor Who is an old and long product. You know, it's 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 only now that people automatically assume it's always been successful. You know, the, the, the things that would be surprising is that there was a period of time when nobody really watched it. You know, and, and when people did, it was uh, it was a subject of derision. And, and and that, as I grew up, obviously, I I grew up with people thinking Doctor Who was a joke, whereas now it's almost been somehow deleted from fandom over here you know people don't talk about oh you know how rubbish colin baker's era was or sylvester mccoy was terrible they just say oh yeah we just you know went all through the 80s well it's <laughs> so. i mean it's it's interesting here because well obviously we, we most most people here have only really become aware of the show in the past you know 10 years or even less than hmm. that so um even though sometimes i do run into people um because of where i work and the type of people that i work with who are just you know who are as uh, nerdy about it as i am and who do know you know all the classic doctors but most of the time it's confined to what's on netflix which is the past nine or so years but you know in america at least and i think i may have mentioned this on the podcast before that at conventions there was sort of a a hierarchy of of fandom you know of of like how cool you (laughs) were based on your fandom and there was always that one guy who's usually um and it was usually bob mish 
who was like the Doctor Who fan at the convention, <laughs> you know. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, most of the time there's just you know, uh, you know, there's you got your Star Wars fans and your Star Trek fans, and those two are, those were battling it out. And even anime sort of had a higher ranking than people who were into Doctor Who for the longest time. But now, now there's now we're all over the place. Now we've taken over the conventions and we're filling six thousand seat. Hall H at mm. Comic Con on a Sunday morning. So, it, it's strange, isn't it? It depends how many fandoms you you, you kind of take part in. Um, because I I'm not really part of any fandom aside from Doctor Who. There isn't any other franchise that I'm that interested in, and therefore I'll kind of miss all of these jokes. And I mean, I, I've, over the last couple of years, I've been to various events that Paul Cornell has spoken at. Now, he's he obviously is a Doctor Who writer, but he's extremely successful in comic books. His first novel um, was an open fantasy novel, was extremely successful, and a sequel's about to come out. And he goes to conventions all over the world uh, where, you know, you get X-Men fans, you get comic book fans, you have Doctor Who fans, and he continually refers to different hierarchies, you know, and, and how one group of fans look down on another group of fans. I find that fascinating. I find it utterly, utterly bizarre, and I've never experienced anything like that. Um, I, I think occasionally I've, I've, I've experienced, you know, individuals at conventions who keep themselves to themselves, but I wouldn't have said that was any kind of posturing, um, not trying to... Join Jockey up a social ladder or anything it's just a case of humans being humans but I, I i do think you know it does exist out there that people do try and say well you know well, doctor who fans are better than star trek fans you know they understand certain you know for example the way a story is told the way a script is written the way it's structured you know they're gonna have a much better understanding there's going to be language that doctor who fans understand like the word hiatus for instance <laughs> they may use that in everyday conversation <laughs> where a star trek fan simply won't and I, I i appreciate that kind of stuff but am i involved in it have i experienced it no not i at think all. it's gotten a lot better because the whole nerds and geeks sort of taking over the world at this point you know right now it's it's just become (laughs) mainstream you know so it's it's gotten a lot better where there's that the hierarchy isn't so much and 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 it's just that back in the day when i used to go to conventions it just it was more about who you know what was the the bigger fandom you know and and how many people were actually into those things and why they were there at the convention and and there just weren't that many doctor who fans you know and and it was mostly because it it was off the air for so long and it was people didn't really know it and people didn't really get it because it was you know the the effects weren't great and it was this show with wobbly sets and things like that you know and so <laughs> um it, it, it there was a lot of stigmatism around it so it's 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 fantastic the way that it is it is now so pervasive yeah. you know even in this country where um talking about my girlfriend she was at the store she was at a store the other day and she has a sonic screwdriver on her on her keychain and so the person at the cash register at an h&m here in the states started talking to her about doctor who you know so uh yeah yeah and i miss that i have to say i i miss that secret club thing that um you know that used, used to happen again before the show came back in 2005 that happened over here all the time if you happened to be reading a new adventure or something automatically you'd, you'd acknowledge somebody else you know who, who who was also reading it or had you know a sonic screwdriver keychain whereas now it's simply nothing special it's you know the same kind of thing as if you just got a um i don't know 
pieces, Star Trek, Star Wars, memorabilia on your desk at work. No one considers it out of the out of the ordinary these days, which I suppose is good as well because it, it, it's a sign of its success and how people now, you know, assume it's mainstream. But it wasn't always like that. I, I do kind of miss the, you know, the the knowing looks and uh, <laughs> the fact that only just a few people appreciate what you're obsessed about and if it's a little bit like that still over in america if it still has this kind of cult status a little then um i I think that's good i think i'd appreciate that it is fun although there are disadvantages i brought back a a tardis wallet from my trip to england and so whenever i pay for something that gets pulled out on and and i did have one occasion where someone recognized it and said you know love the wallet i had another occasion where someone looked at it kind of horrified and said why do you have a police wallet (laughs) (laughs) and and it was like it was like have you sold out michelle and i was like wait a minute (laughs) i was gonna say how many times have you had people try and make jokes about how much money you've got in it and you can say oh it's much much bigger on the inside (laughs) oh i guarantee i guarantee it's smaller on the inside (laughs) they they, they sell tardis underpants here as well and i use the same joke about that too (laughs) lovely (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I knew that would end the conversation flat. Big finish with Ian and Michelle from across the Atlantic Ocean. Ian from the UK and Michelle from the United States. Reviewing Big Finish, sorting out the wheat from the chaff and nonsense, saving you money on the ones that are not so good. We're going to take a a jaunt back about a decade for the 40th anniversary of Doctor Who and one of the most ambitious stories that Big Finish ever released. We're talking about Zagreus, which is main range story number 50, featuring the 8th Doctor and Charlie with a lot of other familiar voices thrown in. Zagreus sits inside your head. Zagreus lives among the dead. Zagreus sees you in your bed. And beats you when you're sleeping. There, at the anvil. What are you doing? A doctor, is it? Not so substantial a figure as we've been led to believe. Poor wretch. His mind is gone. Appearances can be deceptive. Well, in Zagreus, we have the doctor and the TARDIS struggling with the uh, effects of being infected by anti-time. Also, they find themselves fighting Rassilon and some of his darkest ambitions from early Gallifrey. I'm quite impressed that you managed to do a sort of a two-line precy on this because... Firstly, it's a very, very long story. This this is three CDs worth and runs to about three hours. And secondly, it's an incredibly complex story. Uh, it travels all over the universe with lots of different characters, multiple different time streams. There's some fantasy world stuff. There's some uh, reality. It's hard to tell the difference at times. And to be honest, I found it horrendously difficult to follow. The most horrible part of it was when I was listening to the second CD's worth, I accidentally had set my player to be on shuffle i couldn't tell the difference Uh, even though the 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 track order was completely wrong the story didn't make any less sense than when it was playing in order to me that actually typified the whole story that it was just lots and lots of random strange things happening and really hard to pull the story out from between them you must not hate it as much as you think you do because you underestimated it by an hour this is actually five minutes short of four hours of drama A lot of it is set in a stream-of-consciousness type of storytelling, specifically riffing on Alice in Wonderland. Mother, are you aware you appear to have grown ears and whiskers and, let me see, yes, a little cotton tail. 
Something's not right here at all. Carrots. Eat your carrots. So, so yes, I'll grant you this could be seen as tedious and confusing, and, and indeed it's undoubtedly overlong. Or you could look at it as an epic story, a complex story with brilliant performances. And actually, I do like Zagreus, although it is certainly flawed in the ways that you mentioned. But one of the highlights of it for me is the performance by Paul McGann. In some ways, it seems to me like one of the first times we see the the fully fledged angsty eighth doctor with a dark side. I mean, he, he does some of the same kind of shouting that he did in, in Night of the Doctor. And, and you see that doctor sort of being born here in, in Zagreus. Your place is in this reality. I don't have a place here. I should have died, remember? Romana will find you one. I can't trust myself around you. Don't you see? I can't trust Zagreus. That's why you need me. It's why you have to go. I'm not going. I'm not. For pity's sake, girl, go! Charlie, Charlie, I didn't mean it like that. It's the anti-time. Don't you understand? There's no cure for it. And there's no cure for a broken heart. Doors! Charlie, Charlie! Not like this. Not after everything we've been through. Please. I'll give you that the performances were very good. I think the part of the problem was they tried to cram so many characters in and give all of them something meaningful to do. There was also a huge amount of continuity references. Uh, there was a lot of continuity references back to the classic show with things like the Five Doctors and, the, in general, the Gallifreyan mythos that had been built up in the show, but also an awful lot of co- continuity references back into other big finishes as well, which, again, if, if you don't remember or aren't familiar with those particular links, makes it tougher to follow. Saying that the performances were great, one of the things that I really struggled with, especially for an anniversary story, is that most of the Doctor's actors aren't playing the Doctor. In fact, for large chunks of time, none of them are. Paul McGann spends a long time playing Zagreus, and then Peter Davison, Colin Baker and Sylvester McCoy play these sort of random characters from time. And they do a lovely job of it, and it's nice, but why can't we have the Doctors? This is supposed to be a multi-Doctor story, and it isn't. In fact, for a lot of it, it's a no-Doctor story. Your, your complaint about the Doctors not playing the Doctors is, is, is a, a widely held one about this, but I like it. They're essentially holograms the TARDIS has created to help Charlie figure out what's going on and understand how to help the Doctor. And many, many companions, both from the TV series and from the Big Finish canon, also appear in these little vignettes. Yeah, if you're one of those who's followed the stories all the way through, and I had the good fortune of having listened to all of the Paul McGann stories leading into this one, um, then it really does help the enjoyment. The the humor elements, I think, were great. My favorite scene in this, I think, is a scene that um, plays on the idea of Schrodinger's cat, where the doctor is talking to a cat, kind of like the Cheshire cat from Alice in Wonderland, but the doctor ends up in the box, arguing with the cat that's on the outside about whether the doctor is alive or dead. I can't hold on much longer. That's it, cat. I'm dead. Are you sure? Yep. Hearts have stopped, no pulses, nothing. Open the box if you don't believe me. What kind of cat do you take me for? I'm no common feline. I'm an illustration of the quantum theory of superposition. If you can wade through the complexity, there is some, some fun stuff in there to experience. 
I was reminded of a lot of the new adventure stories that came during that period between the old series stopping and the new series starting, which tended to be more complex and more thoughtful and go into deep continuity links and the whole Lung Barrow piece and, you know, history of the Time Lords. And I found Zagreus to be very reminiscent of that era. Uh, I, I'm not, not a big fan of that that thread of uh, Doctor Who history. But there are a great many fans who are, and I think certainly if you're that kind of fan and if you find those sort of stories in, uh, entertaining, you'll probably get a lot out of this. Wonderful. Thank you, Ian. Thank you, Michelle. Yes, our extremely popular Eighth Doctor and Charlie reviews are coming to an end quite soon. There's only a few more plays with Charlie left in them, or at least with the Eighth Doctor anyway. But uh, you've been doing this for a good few months now, Michelle. You've You've been obviously enjoying yourself by the sound of things. You know, this has been really satisfying, probably one of the most enjoyable journeys I've taken with with Ian and the podcast. Uh, yeah, no, we've got, we've certainly got after Zagreus, there's eight more stories that we have or are about to listen to and review. Those all take place in the Divergent universe. Uh, and, and after that, and we're, we're coming to the end of those in our listening, uh, it'll be interesting. We, we have some choices. We could continue on with the Eighth Doctor and Charlie as they come back into the, the usual universe, uh, or we could move on and review some other aspect of, of Big Finish. It'd be interesting to me to hear from the listeners whether they want us to, to continue with the Eighth Doctor and Charlie, or, or are there other other things you'd like us to focus on. So feedback at the com would be a great place to, to let us know that. and uh, Or come to the forum and talk on the forum. There's been lots of uh, interesting feedback on the Eighth Doctor and Charlie range. Uh, in fact, I think we may have one of those audio feedbacks to listen to today, right, James? Absolutely, yeah. Dr. Phil, good friend of the show and uh, many-time feedbacker on on various different things that we've talked about. As Well, he sent in a piece of feedback some time ago. It was shortly after we put out your review of Minuet in Hell, which... Uh, Again, remind me what you thought of that, Michelle. I can't, can't quite remember. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it certainly generated some uh, strong responses, I think, from both you and Ian. And Dr. Phil has got a few comments on why you were correct, Michelle, in your assessment. Let's hear from him now. Dr. Phil is sending in some feedback to the Doctor Who podcast, mostly in defense of Michelle's position on Minuet and Hell. Now, when I first was came into contact with Big Finish, my first story was Zagreus. I'm like, oh my God, what that, what's wrong with you? And um, while stories like Red Dawn and Invaders from Mars are really impossible for me to listen to, because I'm you might not hear a, 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 an accent of the South from me, but I'm originally from the South in the United States, and both of them are very laughable. The accents are really not the problem with this story. Um, even it goes down to the title. Now, the original Minuet in Hell was a story set in the 18th century with the Hellfire Club as an audiovisuals um, Doctor Who audio. Of course, that was not licensed at the time. And the fact that that story took place in a setting where you would actually have the minuet be danced, there's no reference to that in the update. And I believe if you read some of the materials in that are available on the how the story was made, is that it's very problematic. I find that I have trouble listening to this audio a great deal because of the sex slave issues that um, Michelle points out. Now, I love the ending with the brigadier, and the doctor and how they how they trick the bad guy. I don't want to give any spoilers, um, but 
Um, and their interplay is great. The interplay between Nicholas Briggs, who played the Doctor in the audiovisuals. So there's another connection back to the audiovisuals. Um, I find adaptations of the of the AV uh, material works better in stories like Sword of Orion, um, a number of the others that were later adapted. And certain elements appear throughout the entire history of Big Finish, and even to the series of the Fourth Doctor and Romana One. Um, with Cuthbert and Conglomerate and all of those sorts of things. So, anyway, I so my I guess my issues are as much the kind of I don't know the treatment and, and devaluation of the female characters because even Becky Lee is kind of a laughable Buffy Buffy stereotype, which of course I think as a character on television in this country was very important, but it just feels very hollow. And some of the other, of course, American characters feel very hollow as well. Anyway, those are my thoughts, and I really do appreciate the level of affection and evaluation you guys do offer the Big Finish material, because it's very important. They kept the light, the blue light flashing during the end of the wilderness years. They they continue to do great work, and, you know, it's some of the best Doctor Who that's out there. Anyway, those are my 10 million thoughts, sorry, and but keep up the great work, and uh, keep those Big Finish reviews coming. Thank you, Dr. Phil. It's always nice to, to have someone tell me I'm right. That uh, yeah. In fact, any listener, if you'd ever like to write in or send in audio feedback telling me I'm right, that that's <laughs> absolutely feel free. Don't let anything stop you. But in all honesty, this this Minuet in Hell uh, story and review has been real interesting. I went into it with a lot of trepidation because I knew it was probably the first story that we've reviewed on the podcast, or at least one of the first that I, I really didn't care for, and the, and it covers some, you know, somewhat sensitive topics. And so the response that we've had to it uh, in terms of the forum, people emailing me at the Michelle at the Doctor Who podcast address, Facebook posts, the conversation that it has started has been really, really interesting and very civil. And folks writing in on both sides of the, of the debate, we've got at least one other piece of audio feedback that maybe we'll we'll have a chance to play for you at some time. But I've had some very civilized and some very meaningful uh, conversations with folks on this. So once again, just proving to me my my belief that the Doctor Who podcast listeners are amazing people and great conversationalists and great people for dialogue, too. Dialogue rather than uh, argument. Yeah, it was a shame, really, because we're very good at arguing on the show. <laughs> I was about to say. I was like, what, what's yeah, dialogue? Totally no argument. It's, it's a... <laughs> it's also a little bit worrying when we have to single out listeners for being civilized and meaningful you know that is actually usually what you are i mean it's, it's not a complete novelty um, but i think you're right given that this play uh it, it's very controversial it's i i do agree with michelle actually it, it is awful uh, in every possible way um but it's it it I, I don't know what Big Finish were doing releasing it at the time. And whenever we end up talking about it on the show, we go on about it for ages. So it's uh, it's clearly something that evokes a great deal of emotion in people. Um, a couple of things that Phil mentioned in his in his uh, piece of feedback. He talked about something called audio visuals. I won't go on for too long about those, but it is worth mentioning that they are basically the forerunner to the Big Finish audio plays. A lot of the same people who are involved in setting up Big Finish produced unlicensed plays prior to Big Finish coming into existence. They did about 25 plays and it must have been from the mid-1980s through to the early 90s and a lot of the the, the stories they did 
were redone again and were adapted uh, into regular big finish plays and Minuet in Hell is one of those and there are some others as well some extremely strong plays The Mutant Phase, Frozen Time, Sword of Orion they were all audio visual plays to start with and they are still available if you you know are quite inventive and you can scour the internet and looking in the right places it's really worth listening to those early plays again Nicholas Briggs playing a doctor in many of the stories there's a rich history of of, of fiction and and stuff that was actually being made when the classic series was still transmitting on BBC One Dr. Phil's mention that was the first I had ever heard of the audio visuals so that's really it's really intriguing i may or may not look it up uh considering minuet (laughs) (laughs) obviously not that intriguing (laughs) well if if i'm basing it on minuet and hell then probably not but you know (laughs) no don't it's not a good example but having said that the the original minuet in hell as dr phil said was not set in the united states or well it was set in the states but it wasn't set in modern times and, and minuet was actually meaning for the word minuet meant something you know the original meaning of it whereas that was completely skirted over um in 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 the uh, in the big finish play but certainly something to to take a listen to listeners i would suggest well for having no clue what we were going to talk about we sure filled up quite a bit of time. I, th- I think that tends to be one of our talents here at the Doctor Who podcast, talking about nothing for 45 minutes or more. Join us next week when we actually will talk about something, because we are planning to <laughs> we, we are planning to, uh, to give another watch to Legopolis and, and continue our series looking at the stories in which a doctor regenerates. Absolutely. We, we'll also cover some of the stuff that's been going on of late that we haven't really talked about on the podcast very much. There's been loads of casting and announcements for season eight and you know i don't know if there's a great deal to talk about other than the fact that the casting has happened and that they are filming stuff i think they're part way into block two now uh, we also got a pretty good idea of the majority of the writers for series eight so we can start speculating about what kind of story is going to be told knowing what kind of stories these writers usually go so for. in other words expect us to decide whether or not they're going to be awful or not right basically yeah well basically we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of episodes that are not going to air for ages yet and we're going to tell you exactly what we think of them. <laughs> and based on what we said at the beginning we need to go in with really low expectations <laughs> we also must talk about dark eyes 2 at some point so i've been meaning to raise that on the show for a very long time so listeners if you've got any thoughts on any of the casting announcements any of the news that's been published by the bbc over the last couple of weeks or indeed if you have listened to dark eyes and you want to share what you think of that particular story with us we will make an effort to either play audio feedback we receive on the show if you do send audio and keep it under two minutes or just drop us a couple of lines and we'll make sure we refer to your messages when we review those stories or talk about the news on the show i for one can't wait to talk about the news and can't wait to talk about legopolis uh and this was very fun i love having keycasts with you guys and and just just (laughs) talking about whatever's on our mind and talking about doctor who so uh this was a blast and i hope the listeners enjoyed it and uh we'll uh be back in a week speak to you then bye for now bye-bye bye everyone (laughs) 
been listening to the Doctor Who podcast, brought to you this week by James, Michelle and Stephen, discussing the thorny issue of obsession. You can Dad, can you come watch some Doctor Who with us, please? No, I don't want to watch Doctor Who. Go away, I'm sick of that show. Why don't you watch something else? You can find more episodes of the show at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. Oh, come on, Dad, please. No, I've told you, go away. I'm sick of Doctor Who. Watch something different. You can check us out on Twitter, Facebook, or drop by the Doctor Who podcast forums and say hi. Thanks for listening. See you later. I just got to watch Doctor Who, Dad. Oh, all right.